I stand for climate and gender justice in the Caribbean. Welcome to the Climate Conscious Podcast. I'm your host, Paula Joseph, and today we're joined by Melini Allen for the Truth Be Told campaign. Can you tell us a bit about yourself and the work that you do? Sure. So I'm a human rights lawyer um, by profession and the founder of an organization called Freedom Imaginaries, which uses human rights law to tackle legacies of slavery and colonialism and contemporary forms of oppression. And uh, we seek to advance what we call Freedom Imaginaries, which we define as the social, economic, political... Um, ideas and structures that could build pathways to oppose a truly post-colonial future. And so when you look at the issues that we focus on strategically, they're issues steeped in colonial legacies and worldviews. So of course, extractivism is is one of the number one things that we focus on. But we also focus on issues um, of racial justice or injustice, such as the, the plight of Haitian migrants and asylum seekers, Um, in mobility across the region um, and issues of linguistic justice because, you know, in the Caribbean, linguistic justice is also an issue of colonial legacies since uh, colonial languages were imposed upon us and and that was done at the expense of our own indigenous languages, which were, you know, treated as inferior. Um, And so those are some of the issues we work on, but the, the key is that we use a human rights framework which means that we look at the human rights laws that are applicable to an issue and advance those human rights as reflected in the Constitution or in international human rights uh, law treaties. In your view, is climate change and gender equality connected to human rights? And if so, how? Oh, absolutely. Um, So when we say an issue is a human rights issue, we are saying that it implicates or engages well, human rights. And, you know, those human rights are recognized in the Constitution, um, international human rights law treaties. And so when we look at the impacts of climate change as a first port of call, and and I'm going to put in the gender um, angle when I finish, but when we look at the issue of of the climate crisis, the impacts are, first of all, existential and catastrophic. We're talking about loss of life, which implicates the right to life. We're talking about the eradication of of livelihoods because of you know, the level of just damage when you look at places like Barbuda, for example, that were totally destroyed by catastrophic hurricanes. So so we're talking about the right to life, the right to culture, um, a range of economic and social and cultural rights that are recognized in treaties and the constitution. And so climate change is a human rights issue. And when we frame it as human rights, it means accountability because under the human rights law framework, if there is harm to a protected right, that must be followed by a remedy and accountability, which means that um, the responsible actors must stop the harmful conduct, first of all. And second, they must remedy victims who have um, suffered harm. Um, and that that remedy should be reparatory. 
Um, and so when we frame the, the climate crisis as that human rights issue, it says a, a few things, well, a number of things to governments and the corporate actors. Uh, first, if there are activities that are exacerbating the climate crisis with detrimental impacts for human rights, there's an obligation to take action to uh, stop those activities and, and remedy damage. Um, and then now I want to bring in the gender aspect because we know that the climate crisis, it, it's an you know existential threat internationally, but we know that it impacts certain communities more than others. And women are disproportionately impacted by the climate crisis. And so when we say it's a human rights issue, it means that states then have to take proactive measures to ensure that women are, you know, the, the, the disproportionate impacts that women are experiencing are um, confronted through laws and policies that seek to target women, um, whether it's in the responses to climate change um, or even in the technologies that we say, you know, should should address the climate crisis because even in our responses to the climate crisis, those could have um, negative impacts and those could disproportionately impact um, women. And so the climate crisis is a gender justice issue. It's a human rights issue. It's just a general justice issue. Um, any, it, it reflects the wider modes of marginalization that we see in societies, whether it's women, indigenous peoples, Afro-descendant communities. It reflects, reproduces, and exacerbates those inequalities. So what is your recommendation for advancing climate and gender justice in the Caribbean? Um, well, I think we need to urgently move away from the current narratives that are focused on um, only, well, not only, but predominantly on temperature thresholds. For example, 1.5, which um, when you look at it, it's actually quite arbitrary because I'm not sure that 1.5 is a, is a threshold that would necessarily um, avoid the climate crisis. And we need to move to um, responses that are structural, that address, you know, the structural underlying causes of the climate crisis. And we know that that is steeped in, it, it's rooted in this world order that is defined by extractivism, it is defined by overconsumption, the exploitation of, you know, uh, formerly colonized nations and the exploitation of, of mar historically marginalized peoples. And, and once you have a system that's literally predicated on injustice and exploitation, you will have disorders like the climate crisis, which is really climate disorder because it's just reflecting a system that simply is not sustainable. And so to solve the climate crisis, we need to move beyond the system of extractivist development that we have, and we need to replace it with something that is, you know, that allows for all people to live in harmony with nature and in full dignity. Um, that's an excellent point you made about the temperature focus, because as someone outside of my um, area of study is marketing, but as somebody outside of like, just outside looking in, a lot of what um, is my understanding of climate or so just the layman on the street would definitely be temperature focused and uh, it's so much more layers to it than that so that's such a great point so what were your thoughts on the COP28 proceedings and outcome as they relate to the Caribbean region? Uh, so you know COP is, is I think one of those processes that 
um, in my in my view, will not lead to the structural reforms that will confront the climate crisis and the structural causes of the climate crisis. Um, um, and so, you know, the, the, this whole question of um, loss and damage and reparations, to me, it is interesting that, you know, whenever we talk about reparations for the climate crisis, the discussion gets kind of vague and, you know, the commitments get a little shaky. And so what I would say is that for COP to have legitimacy, uh, the issue of reparations must be addressed. Um, you know, th this issue of loss and damage, uh, including non-economic damage, must be addressed. And as I said, the issue of the underlying structures that perpetuate the climate crisis must be addressed. Um, and in my humble view, I don't think COP is the process that will take us there. Um, I think the true pathway to change lies in um, grassroots movements and communities coming together to define a new imaginary and a new world order. Um, and through those efforts, I think we can transition to a, a different future in which, as I said, all people can live in equal dignity and harmony with nature. Thank you for joining us for another episode of the Climate Conscious Podcast. We'd love to hear from you. Write to us at theclimateconscious at gmail.com or simply leave a review on your favorite app. Remember to follow The Climate Conscious on all social media platforms. See you next week.